Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Nine hundred dollar dues? Tobias! Did you accept a six-hour collect call from the States? It was an emergency call from the International Drainage Commission in Springfield. Conversations about collaboration, episode 71. Josh Snow from Support Department joins me. We talk about automation, Airtable, teaching yourself new tools, how to automate business processes, and sleep. Let's get it on. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, and yourself? Doing okay. You are the first guest on my pod from down under. Oh, the, uh, the pressure's on then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's jump right into it. I, I'm fascinated with this notion of no code and low code and by extension, citizen developers. Um, it's fascinating to me how frequently people put up with inefficiency. Oh, I'm not a developer. Um, the premise of my forthcoming book of which you, to which you contribute is basically you don't have to be a proper coder. And I see that I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, Talk to me a little bit about how you got involved in this sort of citizen development movement, because I'm fond of saying I'm not that smart. Uh, and if I can figure this stuff out, other people can. Well, I think for me, look, the the journey probably started uh, about, sorry, there's my my dog just shaking out in the background. <laughs> um, the journey for me probably started about, uh, 50, well, <laughs> a little bit older than 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 I think, uh, probably about twenty years or so ago now. Um, so I actually have a, a background in uh, finance. So I've sort of worked in, you know, a, a variety of large corporates. You know, particularly in the telecommunications space, um, in sort of finance and strategy roles. So I'm sort of used to dealing with, you know, big sets of of data. Um, you know, some may even give me the the title of a you know spreadsheet monkey. Back in the day, uh, I spent you know all my days uh, in in Excel, um, and I think I was I was always looking at ways to to optimize processes because you know when I first started, it was common for people to print numbers out of one system and then enter them into Excel to generate the report, um, and it was just it was just madness. So, you know, I got on this process of uh of improvement uh, of process improvement from an early stage um and looking at ways that i could automate things and you know looking at how we could get data through apis into excel and and then how i could even you know automate uh commentary that would come out you know next to the financial report and and those sorts of things um so i think we can look at low code and, and no code development as you know, something that sort of lives within this software development space. Um, but I mean, if you look at a tool like Excel, it's kind of the, the OG of low code, no code tools. You can develop some, you know, fairly sophisticated apps, uh, and so forth. So I, I guess what I'm trying to, to say is that low code, no code development could be anybody. Like there's, there's a very, very low barrier. Uh, to, to get started. And then obviously you can work your way up from there and you can get to some fairly sophisticated apps. Uh, you know, some of the things that, that I work on today with, with clients can be, uh, can be quite sophisticated. 
but it can also be something very simple, which is just managing data in a, in a tool like Excel or Airtable uh, or whatever it may be. So yeah, um, we share a lot in common. I can remember once on a consulting gig in 2008, and they were migrating from a legacy ERP system to a more contemporary one. And they were printing out checks from both systems to see if they were the same. And I said, what are you all doing? We're, we're, we're validating the checks. And I said, do you have a flat file, right? CSV of the data? They said, yeah, why? I said, can I have it? And I came back, I don't know, four minutes later and said, okay, here are the differences. Here are the ones that are same. And they didn't believe me. So I said, pick a check, right? From both systems or both employees. And they looked at me like I invented the computer. And again, I don't feel like I'm that smart, but I'm just curious and probably um, impatient slash intolerant with inefficiency. So like you, I, I just, when, when I see something that is inherently inefficient, if you just have to suck it up one time, so be it. But as you and I both know, many times that's the weekly or monthly or um, quarterly process. And it takes three or five days and you go, there has to be a better way. Absolutely. Um, my one of my first jobs, I managed to condense about you know two to three business days into about half an hour of work um, over the space of about eighteen months while I while I worked there. So I could almost come in at the beginning of the month, which anybody who's from a finance background that that does reporting and and so forth knows that that's the the busiest time of the month trying to report on what happened last month. Um, and I could almost sort of come in and and press a button and everything would refresh. Um, and, and kind of go from there. So I think, um, you know, the <laughs> efficiency, uh, you know, dri driving, uh, efficiency from even some of these very, uh, unsophisticated, uh, outputs or, or probably a better way to say it is that, you know, financial reporting and performance reporting for the law firm that I was working at at the time, I wasn't doing anything big and, and sophisticated. It was, you know, he was the revenue last month versus last quarter versus last year. Um, it's not very exciting, but it can take a lot of time to go through and prepare this if you're doing it manually. So, uh, you don't necessarily need to think of this as, you know, it, you're only chasing big, sophisticated problems. It's all of the day-to-day -day admin. It's all the really boring, unsexy stuff. Uh, that's where all of the big benefits are uh, in this low-code and no-code space. Oh, 100%. Uh, how do you teach yourself these tools? Uh, maybe, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, I just went on a binge for Notion videos. And before I know it, I'd watched maybe 100 and I wasn't just back to back. I'd watch one or two and then boot up my computer and try a few things. But I'm just curious because these tools are fairly new. Um, and it's not like you can say I've got 20 years of experience with Notion the same way you would with Excel. Or I know you're also a um, you work with Bubble, but I guess Bubble's been around since, what, 2009? Yeah, it's uh, probably a, it's they've just celebrated their 10th. Birthday. Okay, that uh, might be uh, 2012. I know it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how um, do you how did you teach yourself Bubble? How do you teach yourself these tools? I'm just I'm curious because I can definitely see the benefits of video or just going to user conferences or just rolling up your sleeves and or maybe a combination. There is so much training material out there for for Bubble for 
you know, Notion for all of these tools. I think it really depends on the type of learner that you are. Um, I'm, I'm not the best learner in that I struggle to sit through a structured course and do mm. something from start to finish and, you know, do the little exercises along the way and do my homework. Uh, but there are those courses. There's plenty of those kind of boot camps and, and different courses that have been created by, uh, typically small creators. I don't know that there's many big training organizations working on these things, but you can go onto a platform like Gumroad and you'll probably find, you know, 20, 50, 100 courses that'll teach you Notion, Bubble, Airtable, whatever you want to learn. Uh, or you can be somebody like me that just sits there until four o'clock in the morning, uh, works all weekend, uh, just trying to solve problems as they come up. So just dive straight into the, into the problem and, you know, come out the other end, uh, having probably learned what you needed plus, uh, a mile more, uh, in, in the process. So that was my very sort of unsophisticated way of getting into the world of, uh, no code and, and learning bubble. Um, spending a lot of time on, on their forum, watching a lot of YouTube videos. There's incredible amount of, of free content on YouTube. Uh, and I have paid for the odd course here and there. And yeah, so the, the barriers to, uh, to, to learning are, are pretty low. These courses are not thousands of dollars. They're not, you know, this pro Excel course that your company paid for 10 years ago that cost, you know, $5,000 or something like that. This, you know, we're talking 20, 50, $100 for the paid courses. Um, maybe a little higher than that if it's a little bit more involved, but, uh, you know, you can also find a significant amount of free content as well. 100%. But from what I know of you, Josh, you're self aware enough to say not everyone has the time or the desire to do all that, which I guess is the, sort of um, main idea behind supportdepartment.io, right? That's right. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of the, the, I've started the business that I wish I found a year ago uh, or 18 months ago uh, in that I have a bunch of clients that uh, come to me and I'll build products, tools for them from start to finish. And that's fine. The other half of my business is a mentoring business. So mm -hmm. I'll work with startup founders, small business owners, uh, but also other bubble developers that are working on projects for clients as well, um, which I find interesting. And I'm kind of the, the person on the other end of Slack or the other end of Zoom that can help them get through whatever barrier that they're sort of facing that day. So I call it a an unstuck service. Mm -hmm. uh, you get stuck, you can come to me. Uh, and then I will help push you through uh, and advise you on the on the next steps, uh, or I'll jump in and do it for you. If you know, sometimes you you get to the the, the end of a problem and you're at the end of end of your wits, <laughs> uh, and you just want to hand it over and you want it solved, uh, and then I sort of jump in and, and solve that for people as well. And I think that it's one of the misconceptions people have about these different software vendors. Now, if you take a tool like Slack, and I love Slack, I wrote Slack for dummies. Um, you can configure it in as much as you can set up different channels or different user groups or whatever, but you don't really build software, right? I think there's a difference. But with Airtable or Bubble or these other no-code tools, uh, you're, you're building something, but the support for the application that you're building isn't really covered under any sort of monthly $15 a month per user fee, right? You want to make sure if there's a bug, Right. But my understanding is with these tools and, and I, let's just take bubble from what I know of it, you know, a lot better than I do. You could build, as you said, some pretty sophisticated apps, but your license with bubble doesn't entitle you to 
custom support on those apps, correct? That's right. Um, you know, if something breaks in terms of the tooling, then you've got a support team that will help you out. But uh, often I find with with clients is that, you know, there are many ways that you can build something. And and I'm also uh, guilty of this, you know, through my early bubble journey as well, in that, you know, there are 10 ways to, to build something. There's probably one really good proper way to do it. Uh, and then there's nine other ways which are kind of suboptimal. And depending what happens next, uh, you know, it might actually cause a, a bit of grief for you as well. So you can kind of get yourself into a, a little bit of a tangle, uh, you know, three, six months down the, the road based on decisions that you've made at the, the very beginning. So bringing in someone like myself, and there's there's a number of others offering similar services as well, uh, even just to talk through th- things like architecture, even if you you kind of know the answer or there's you know two or three different possible ways of moving forward you don't really know the the pros and cons or you just want some assurance of okay before i get started with my database and building my whole app off this database is this the right structure is it going to support what i'm trying to build today but is it also going to support you know the, the version 2 the version 3 of the app which is coming Oh, 100%. And I've been using Airtable on and off for about a year and a half. I am by no means an expert. But I do know this. It's fundamentally, they call it a base, but it's a database. And all databases offer different data types. Now, you can define everything as text. But then don't be surprised if it's not a dropdown that people put in six values, right, typing for the same thing. Or if it should have been a date or a number. So it's fascinating to me that even though there's a different delivery mechanism, you don't have to deploy it over SharePoint and get IT involved. You basically just spin it up, give people the credentials as long as your plan supports it. Boom, they're up and running. Um, some of those truisms that even go back to Excel, right? Because I'm pretty good at Excel myself, even though I don't use it as much as I used to back in the day. But you know, there's a reason that if you enter a date in Excel, it aligns to the right. But if you enter text, it aligns to the left. Well, it's because it's a different data type. Now, you may not know that, but when in Airtable or Notion or a Smartsheet or some of these other tools, if you don't understand that, you can make some pretty big mistakes. Then once people enter the data, you got a big cleanup job on your hands. Absolutely. And there are yeah, many ways that you can you can structure a database in, in, in Bubble. There are many rules that you can put in on the front end as well um, in terms of validation and and giving feedback to users as well. So in, in the Excel world, it's just going to align the 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 data for you in in the uh, web app world where you could actually give some useful feedback to your user to say don't do this this is what i'm expecting instead so there's a there is a lot of uh you know niceties that you can put around it to help manage the experience i find that once you have the kind of mindset that both you and i have if something is manual, you just say, there has to be a better way to do this. You don't accept it. And I know that one of the tools that you've developed is this integration between Stripe and Google Sheets, knowing that you have got a finance background that doesn't really surprise me. But I'm, I'm just amazed when I go into Zapier and look at all the different things you can connect. And I know there are other tools like Make.com and uh, IFTT and Workato and all that, but it is, it's just remarkable what you can connect through the APIs. I mean, it's insane. I, I think 
pretty much any business that I go into today, I just walk out with my head in my hands uh, because I see so many manual processes. I'm like, ah, there's an opportunity to automate here. Uh, and I have a probably mixed view in in terms of automation because I also see the other side as well where clients come to me and they've got no customers. <laughs> they've got this startup that they're trying to get off the ground and they want absolutely everything to be automated and everything to be, uh, you know, just just working in in the background without any manual intervention and i think it's trying to to strike that right balance right so uh you need to automate ahead of these big this big influx of uh, of work that's going to come in these this big manual intervention um but you shouldn't necessarily be automating from the get go if it's going to take a lot of time a lot of effort a lot of money to to achieve it there's also perhaps uh value in actually doing this process manual for a little while, you can then uh, optimize that process and then it's right for automation. I've actually got a, a background in in process automation working in, in big telcos and we would take very manual processes, we would optimize them, then only after that point we would look at putting in software and 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 so forth um on that optimized process because you don't want to be uh, automating a, an unoptimized process because your automation could be super sophisticated uh when you know you might be there might be 10 steps that need to be built in this automation but actually if you simplified it maybe there's only two really simple ones uh and and that whole process of building the automation and managing it is is easier uh but i guess coming back to those those tools that i've built i think uh for me i'm in this unique experience uh you know unique position where I've got all these clients coming to me wanting to build different tools and different apps for, for various different things. And I'm starting to see a lot of commonality. Well, everybody's using Stripe or, or most clients are, are using Stripe. So they're going to want to at some point get that data out of Stripe and they're going to want to put it into a, a, a spreadsheet so they can send to their accountant or they want to be able to generate a few charts or something like that. Uh, so I've always sort of looking at ways of, of how we can kind of, you know, shortcut these uh, these processes a little bit. The tools like Zapier are, are good, um, but they can become in like stupidly expensive after after a while. So, you know, if you've got dozens of transactions coming in a day and Zapier's updating your spreadsheet, uh, whether it's Google Sheets or, or Airtable or, or whatever it may be, if it's updating it you know, record by record, you're getting thousands of, of updates a month, you're starting to spend hundreds of dollars a month on, on Zapier. So a tool like mine just, you know, hits the AP, the Stripe API on a regular basis, takes a dump of all of the data, and then you're kind of free to, uh, to, to play around with it from there. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago about just, just because you can automate something doesn't mean that you should. So I thought about this because I'm developing a website for a friend and she's a big Notion fan and we can absolutely embed a Notion form. I think it's notionforms.so. There's a free version. There's a paid version. Looks like the free version is going to be good enough. And then when people fill out the form, boom, there's an entry into Notion. You get a notification that's all in one place. We absolutely can automate that. I don't know if we will, though, because what's to stop someone from putting in a spam record? And if you've got one every month, big deal, you delete it. But what if you've got 10 a day? Right. But within those 10, you have a legitimate one. I think there's the tendency to go, oh, just a bunch of spam and delete something that actually matters. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you on this notion that we should be careful about what we automate because it, you may reduce the amount of manual work, 
but it doesn't mean that you necessarily eliminate it. So I agree with you. If you do it manually first before you automatically automate, no pun intended, then you actually might be in a better place than if you just said from the get-go, meaning to automate everything. That's right. And then I think if you look into in in a small business you know, where everybody's kind of across the details, uh, you don't necessarily have this problem. But as you move into bigger organizations, you do have this issue where you've got somebody that's perhaps one or, or two people removed from the person that has built the automation as well. Uh, and if they're relying on this automation for their uh, their daily work, they don't understand how it works. Uh, they're just trusting that it's correct. Uh, they could then end up making poor decisions, um, you know, which could potentially have big uh, ramifications um, based on dirty data because their eyes are not trained to to see the, the errors in the data or you know, particularly when you're looking at rolled up numbers uh, as well, coming from a, a finance background. Sometimes, you know, you, you can look at the report and it's this high level number and you know that there's millions of rows of, of data that sit beneath it and you go, this doesn't feel right. There's absolutely no way that, you know, the revenue figure was this last month because it's 50% more than what we did the month before and we didn't sell 50% more products. So this is wrong. Um, so <laughs> you, you can get into these sorts of, uh, of, of these sorts of situations. Oh, I completely agree with you. And it reminds me of a payroll manager with whom I used to work back in New Jersey in 2004. And she always knew payroll would be around a certain number. Let's say it was whatever, 4.1 million every two weeks. If it were 4.3, she might say, you know what? It was a holiday weekend. Maybe people did some overtime. Okay, fine. But if it was under that, she'd go, no, something's wrong. And invariably, she was right because you just had that familiarity, that critical thinking. But I'm with you. It's I found it over my career tough if you just have a high-level number. And if it seemed plausible, let's say it was supposed to be $4 million, it was 4.1. Okay, that's reasonable. Um, if it's $40 million, you know it's wrong. Right. So then you drill down, you get in the data, you do a pivot table, whatever your mechanism. So I'm with you on critical thinking. And, and I do worry sometimes that if people rely too much on automation, it's almost like just Googling what's 15 times 14. Well, it's 210. I just happen to know that and I'm showing off. But if you don't know why, right, and God forbid the Internet's down. Right. I mean, I, I do think there's something to be said for knowing how it works. And, and if you could automate it, great. Right. If you're consistently doing that calculation, but I do see that as a potential downside for at least some people. I know that lots of proper developers use no code tools or low code tools like Airtable and Notion because it just makes sense. But for certain things, I don't see how maybe I'm wrong in five years. Airtable is just an example or bubble isn't going to replace the need for a multinational company having the ERP or CRM system. And if you're a coder and don't understand how to write code, um, that's a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's this pros and cons. I think for a developer, uh, looking at a tool like Bubble, for example, it's abstracting away a, a lot of the, the details. There's actually there's less mistakes that you can make, uh, but you can still make mistakes, right? <laughs> so um, there's less likely that you're going to have this uh, really erroneous uh, line of code that's just going to throw the whole thing off um, and only do it at some point in time in the future, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I think we've all seen that happen a few times over our, our careers where everything's fine until it's not six or right. 12 months later. Uh, so I think you, you kind of, you remove some of those issues with no code. 
but then you do bring in some more risks, um, which is you know typically bringing in people that don't necessarily have that skill set uh, and that discipline uh, as yours, you know, your coders do. Yeah. Good stuff, Josh. I'll get you here on the out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? Uh, I have actually just finished a, a book uh, on, and I'm just about, I'm actually looking for a recommendation on, a, on, on the next one, um, but it is a book about uh, sleeping. Um, huh. And it's a book called Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. Um, and it's a, and I'm looking, I'm listening to the, uh, the audio version of it while I'm walking my dog, uh, and just learning, um, a, a lot of useful tips about how I can sleep better. Cause I'm somebody that has a, uh, a, a really crappy sleep schedule. Um, and just looking at, again, it, you, you can, you can take that from the earlier discussion that we had around <laughs> process improvement. Um, I'm looking at ways that I can process and improve my life. And, you know, maybe I should be doing that walk with the dog in the morning versus the afternoon because that's better for my cortisol levels or, or whatever it may be. So yeah, an awesome book. Uh, lots of tips to take away. I just was reading an article because I struggle with sleep as well about how lavender scents can affect your sleep in, in a positive way. So I'm going to be trying that one because I've, I've struggled with it for years, but really good conversation, Josh. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.